1: And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Added to the mix is a tough and wily guy by the name of Hinkle.
2: He was a fullback at 202 pounds, linebacker. He averaged over 58 minutes a game. He did the kicking as well.
0: The old-timers used to tell me Clark Hinkle was Jim Taylor on offense and Ray Nitschke on defense. Pretty hard to top that.
1: You just look at photos of Hinkle at the time. He looks like he, he's going to be vicious about to hit someone, and it's, it's almost scary. He
2: was a phenomenal football player.
0: Tougher than Rattlesnake was how one of his teammates described him. He left in
1: 1942 and enlisted in the service for World War II and never played after that. When he left, he was a leading
0: rusher in the history of the National Football League. And that record was not broken
1: till eight years later.
2: What is up gang? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I got to be honest with you, man. I did not want that soundbite to end. Probably a little bit long on the front side, but man, it was just awesome hearing everyone talk about the great Clark Hinkle. And that's who we're going to cover in our history segment today. Uh, Also, we're going to break down the linebacking room, uh, their contracts, and kind of look at, okay, Uh, How does the contract caps hit here over the next few years? Who's going to be under contract for multiple years? And maybe what do we have to look forward to in the future as far as, you know, filling that room up? And then to wrap up the show, we're going to have our very own Sam Holman from Packernet Podcast. Uh, network here. He's uh, He's been doing the Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast, which if you guys haven't checked that out yet, make sure you do. You're talking about a, a, a podcast that's just so concise, straight to the point, hard-hitting. I don't like long-winded things when it comes to listening to podcasts, and you guys are probably going, how come you ramble so much then, Clayton? <laughs> you know, hey. Touche, it is what it is, but we're going to cover that stuff, and then we're going to hit on maybe a little bit of news on the backside before we get out of here, so hope you guys are having a great day, let's get this party cranked up right now with Clark Hinkle, and and Clark Hinkle is one of those guys that, um, you, you know, you've seen the old black and white photos of him just looking like he's going to rip someone's head off, right, uh, when he's, you know, he's carrying the ball, there's one that I've got hanging here in the studio where it looks like he's kind of coming around the corner on a sweet play or, or an end around or what have you, and it's in the snow. Everybody's got the leather helmets on. He's biting his tongue. And it looks like he's about to initiate contact with the defender. Just an awesome, awesome picture. One of my all-time favorite pictures. But Clark Hinkle, William Clark Hinkle, was born on April 10th, 1909. He's known as one of the toughest players in the era of Ironman football. Hinkle played for the Green Bay Packers from 1932 to 1941 and held the all-time National Football League records for rushing yards and carries when his playing career ended. He led the NFL in touchdowns in 1937 with seven touchdown carries. Um, he led in points scored, which was 58 points in 1938, and in field goals made and field goal percentage in both 1940 and 1941. He was selected as a first Or second-team All-Pro in each of his 10 NFL seasons and helped lead the Packers to three NFL championship games and NFL championships in 1936 and 1939. His playing career was cut short in 1942 by military service. So he's one of those guys that said, you know what, I'm going to leave this football thing behind and go serve my country. Pretty darn cool if you ask me. So he played his college ball at Bucknell University, and when he got to the professional football level in January of 1932, after watching Hinkle play in the Shrine game, um, Curly Lambeau signed Hinkle immediately to play professional football for the Green Bay Packers. At the time, the Packers were the best team in the NFL, having won three consecutive NFL championships from 1929 to 31. Hinkle played for the Packers for his entire tenure, Uh, NFL career was selected as a first or second team all-pro every year and helped lead the Packers to championships in 1936 and 39 Which we just talked about as a rookie in 1932 Hinkle appeared in 13 games led the Packers with 331 rushing yards on 95 carries he quickly developed a reputation Not only for his two-way play on both offense and defense, but also he was best punter in the NFL So this guy kicked field goals he punted he played both offense and defense You heard the soundbite there where the old-timers said that he was basically Paul Horning on offense and Ray Nitschke on defense. That's the kind of impact that Clark Hinkle had uh, on the game of football. Um, Yeah, so he's just one of those guys that uh, he was held by Curly Lambeau at the end of the 1932 season as a second coming of Jim Thorpe, of all people. Like, what an amazing, amazing compliment that is. Uh, And by some critics as, quote, the greatest football player in the world today. Uh, After spending the offseason working for a steel construction firm in his hometown of Toronto, Ohio, Hinkle returned to the Green Bay Packers in September of 1933. In his second NFL season, Hinkle led the team with 413 rushing yards, but the Packers' record fell to 5-7-1. This is one of the darker times there for the Green Bay Packers under Curly Lambeau. The only losing season suffered by the Packers was that year, and that was their first losing season in, in the first 25 years of the NFL. Despite the team's Poor showing, Hinkle was selected as a second team All Pro by the UP, Chicago Daily News, and Green Bay Press Gazette. Hinkle presented a rare combination of power, speed, and accurate kicking. In 1937, he led the NFL with seven touchdowns and ranked second with 552 rushing yards. In 1938, he led the NFL in scoring with 58 points and scored uh, on seven touchdowns, seven extra points, and three field goals. He led the NFL in field goals and field goal percentage of both 40 and 41. He also continued to excel as a punter, ranked second in the NFL in punting yards in 1939 and averaging 44.5 yards per punt in 1941. Hinkle's playing career was cut short in the 1941 season by a wartime military service. He began his NFL career in 1932 at a salary of $5,000 and his salary cut during the Great Depression, then restored to $5,000 in the late 30s. He held out for the uh, for the received $10,000 in his final season. He finished his career with 3,860 rushing yards, 537 receiving yards, 316 passing yards, and 379 points scored on 44 touchdowns, 28 field goals, and 31 extra points. Listen to that again. He scored 44 touchdowns, kicked 28 field goals, And had 31 extra points now here's where it gets colorful in my opinion he had a reputation for his toughness right Hinkle loved the intense physicality of football according to one account according to one account Clark Hinkle loved contact it didn't matter which side of the ball he was coming from Hinkle loved delivering blows Ken Strong said or I'm sorry Ken Strong another Hall of Fame back of the era remembered the force of Hinkle's tackles he said quote when he hits you you knew you were hit. Bells rang, and you felt it all the way to your toes. Uh, another back, Johnny Sis said, quote, No one in the whole league ever bruised me more than Hinkle did. Hinkle had a lot of leg action. I broke my shoulder twice tackling Mr. Hinkle. Hinkle's competition with the Chicago Bears fullback Bronco Nagurski. You guys remember me talking about Bronco Nagurski, one of the largest men in all of football at the time, one of the most powerful fullbacks, uh, just a guy that was a, a monster. He was your modern-day battering ram, right? He was this guy that just that everyone kind of feared when they played against him. Um, it said. It says Hinkle's competition with Chicago Bears fullback, Bronco Nagurski, was especially memorable. Hinkle was the only player to knock Nagurski out of a game. The only time Nagurski got injured to the point that he couldn't return from a game was because of Hinkle. And according to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Hinkle's quote, Creed was get to the Bronc before he gets to me. Now, how many times have you heard that? I, you know, I heard Jim Taylor, I believe I played the soundbite on the episode we, we outlined uh, Jim Taylor's career, where he said, I'm going to make the defender respect me. I'm going to punish the defender to where he doesn't want to even try to punish me, right? Hinkle cited a 1934 collision with Nagurski as the greatest day in football. <laughs> he recalled, I was carrying the ball and Nagurski charged in to make the tackle. Wham! We banged into each other. Nagurski had to be removed from the game with a broken nose and two closed eyes. Strangely enough, I suffered no ill effects and was able to continue playing. Nagurski later called Hinkle the, quote, toughest man I ever played against. In the book, pain gang pro football's 50 toughest players neil reynolds included both hinkle and nagurski on his list of toughest players in the history of the game hinkle's toughness remained to the end on november 2nd 1941 in his final game against the chicago bears hinkle had his leg torn open by an opponent's spike but returned late in the game to kick the game winning field goal from the from the forty-four yard line with a uh a lacerated leg, basically, from an opposing player's spike. So someone who obviously embraced the black and blue division and embraced that rivalry against the Chicago Bears. I mean, the stat that stands out to me the most is the fact he's the only player in NFL history to knock Bronco Nagurski out of the game. That's just freaking Awesome. So again, like I said, quick recap. He played for the Green Bay Packers from 1932 to 1941. He was a two-time NFL champion there in 1936 and 39. Seven first-team All-Pro, that's 1932, then 35 through 38, 40 and 41. Three-time NFL All-Star, that was from 1938 to 1940. So that was really when he peaked, was right there between 1938 and 1940. NFL rushing touchdown co-leader, of 1937, NFL scoring leader in 1938, NFL 1930s All-Decade Team, and obviously into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame as well as the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What's cool is Curly Lambeau and Johnny Blood got inducted into the very first inaugural Pro Football Hall of Fame induction uh, ceremony. The very next year, Clark Hinkle was right behind him, uh, obviously representing uh, the Green Bay Packers immensely, and and he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame as well. So Clark Hinkle, man, one of the most colorful, um, you know, players in Packer history. Um, here's one of the things that I feel like is probably the most important: the fact that he served our country. A guy that when the war uh, broke out, he didn't waste any time. He's gonna, you know, go and and, and you know, serve his country and do what was right. Um, just amazing the men that played for the Green Bay Packers back then. You guys heard us talk talk about you know uh, Smiley Johnson and some of the other players who have had military service, but Clark Hinkle was one of those guys that they said, you loved him as a man, but you feared him as a football player. And uh, definitely one of the the all-timers. And now you know why they have um, his name on the, uh, on the practice uh, field over there at Clark Hinkle Field right there next to Lambeau Field. So there's your history segment. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to put our GM cap on, and we're going to break down these linebackers' uh, contracts and kind of see what the future looks like and also talk about the current cap hits and just how they stack up with, uh, with the salary they're being paid. Okay, so let's look at these contracts now. Let's look at the linebacking room. If you guys haven't noticed, we're going through the entire roster and we're coming down the stretch now. I think the only thing we have left is uh – Is just a few more defensive, uh, you know, uh, position rooms, and then we're going to wrap this up. And by that time, guys, the whole point was during this dead time, let's get a little more educated on how the contracts sit, right? And then come out the other side and be ready for training camp. Now we know how the contracts sit. We know where the benefits of having these guys on multi-year minimum style deals. Those are the guys who are probably going to get, you know, kind of uh, a little bit. I don't know, a a little more leniency in camp. You want those guys to make the roster more than you do these guys with the one-year deals. Although, if you do have someone that's on a one-year deal, you know it's a prove-it deal. You know you're going to get the best of the best uh, of what they have to offer. But let's start off right at the top with our very own Devondre Campbell. You guys know he had a heck of a breakout year last year. I believe he was graded out on PFF as the number two linebacker in the entire uh, league And he just signed this new deal, this uh, four-year extension, which makes it a five-year deal, right? And his current cap hit for this year, this is amazing to me. You're talking about the second-best inside linebacker in all of professional football. And his cap hit this year is only $4.2 million dollars. I mean, that's that's really, really remarkable. Now, obviously, this thing is structured just how the Packers like to do their traditional contracts. When they sign someone to an extension, you heard us talk about it with Jair Alexander. They want a lot of that money on the front side. That way, they can get out of the contract on the back side. Not that they necessarily would want to with Jair, but with Devondre, that's something that kind of comes into play. You know, the, the only knock that I can see on Devondre Campbell is he's only done it one year. Right. And the Packers seen enough, they said, okay, this guy fits our scheme perfect. You know, Coach Barry absolutely loves him. This is a guy that is uh, his teammates. You know, you heard Darnell Savage talking the other day that this is a guy that came in, did it the right way, and it's awesome to see the Green Bay Packers' front office reward someone like that. That's exactly what you've seen with Devondre Campbell. But again, $4.2 million cap hit. Um, this year, he's got five years left on his contract, including this year. Next year, his cap hit jumps to four to uh, I'm sorry, eight point two million dollars. So still very very reasonable. Now in 2024, it jumps to 13 point seven million. But here's what's cool: the dead cap that year is nine million. So they could cut him loose that year. Not that they would. I'm hoping he's still playing very very well at that point, right? Um, so. He, uh, he, his dead cap is only 9 million flat, so you could free up, what is that, roughly $4.7 million in cap room if they cut him after 2024. Now, it says here there's a potential out in 2025. And when you move into the year 2025, the cap hit is now $11.8 million with only $6 million in dead cap. In 2026, $11.8 million, with only $3 million in day cap. So what you're seeing here is exactly what Andrew Brant's talked about in the past. These five-year deals are essentially two- and three-year deals. I feel really, really confident saying that Devondre Campbell, barring any freak injury or him just completely flopping moving forward, he is going to be at our, our inside linebacker at least through the 2024 season, which is really exciting because that gives Quay Walker three years, you know, leaning into that role and he would be ready to take over if indeed we did want to cut him loose. So essentially, if we cut him loose in 2025, you're freeing up $5 million in cap. And then if uh, if you were to wait and cut him in 2026, Devondre Campbell that is, you're going to free up roughly uh, $8 million in cap. So again, you're seeing a, a three to four year deal right there more than likely, but you could start to save money if you got out of it beginning there in 2024. So now let's fall back and let's look at Quay Walker. And uh, I'm really, really, excited about Quay Walker this year. Everything I've seen, everything I've studied on him, um, this is a guy that you you guys know how I feel about Greg Cosell, and Greg Cosell spoke nothing but, you know, extreme praise for him. He actually had Quay Walker listed as his best linebacker in the entire draft. Now you guys uh kind of heard me talk about it um uh, before that I put a lot of stock in the way that Greg Cosell feels about prospects. And, um, sometimes I disagree with him, but I'm like, this dude has watched way more footage of this guy has been watching film long before I was even born. And he's a guy that does it in a way that he removes all the negative aspects. He, he doesn't look at the off the field issues. He said, that's not what I'm judging at all. I don't look at the combine. I don't judge that at all. I'm looking at strictly game tape, game speed. What have they done against competition that's the only thing I can judge that's the way that Greg Cosell looks at it so when he said that Quay Walker was his top linebacker then that immediately moved him up five spots on my draft board that's how much stock I put in Greg Cosell now at the same time though my board still fell where he was like the third or fourth best linebacker and lo and behold the Packers jump up and take him and I'm going oh my gosh man that's I should have seen the writing on the wall there with how high Greg Cosell was on him. So, but looking at Quay Walker's contract, obviously being a first-round pick, um, his cap hit this year is two point five million dollars. Next year it jumps to three point one. The next year it jumps to three point seven, and in twenty twenty-five it jumps to four point four. Guys, he he will never working, you know, playing out this rookie contract. He will net. He will barely crack what Devondre Campbell is making this year. Like you talking about the the value of rookie contracts now that the new collectively bargained um, you know approach to slotting in uh, you know contracts for rookies. I feel like draft picks are more valuable than ever. I mean, the fact that you could get a potential starting linebacker at the price in his fourth year that your starting linebacker graded out the second-best linebacker in the league this year, you know, has even, you know, eclipsed. It's just, I don't know, man, it's amazing. So that's kind of how he looks, obviously, with the rookie first-round picks. The contract's pretty much guaranteed. There's no way you can get out of it without taking a loss, and it was structured. That was one of the, the give-and-takes of the union and and obviously the uh, the owners and, and how they approach that, you know, as far as restructuring uh, the way that rookies are paid. And, um, yeah, so I'm really, really excited about Quay Walker to see what he does this year. But coming in third, we have Chris Barnes. Chris Barnes' contract, obviously he's just on a one-year deal. Um, $895,000 this year. Now, here's what's cool about Chris Barnes. Some people love him. Some people hate him. You know, I was one that vouched for him. I said I went on the record earlier uh, in a past podcast that I really felt like he was a solid linebacker. And then lo and behold, last year, he just had a bad year. He did not grade out well with PFF. He was one of those guys that he would make splash plays here and there, but he just wasn't consistent enough. Now, the fact that he was your start, your second starting inside linebacker last year alongside Devondre Campbell, and now he believes, becomes potentially your backup linebacker and it it may free him up to play more special teams on kickoff teams and punt team dude that's exciting that's really really exciting but again this is his contract year so you're going to get the best Chris Barnes possible because he's playing for his football life this year and the next guy Ty Summers it's the same exact thing with Ty Summers uh, eight or nine hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars a one-year deal um, he's going to be kind of you know just looking to compete. I think that these guys, what you're what you're really doing, it it plays into to Rich Pasacha's hands perfectly. There as a special teams coordinator, you've got a couple hungry linebackers that are wanting to do whatever they got to do to put a good, you know good enough uh, tape out there so they can land a gig next year. If indeed the Packers don't decide to resign them, and that would be my guess here with investing the first round pick into Quay Walker, extending Devondre Campbell, you don't want to tie up anything anything more than a minimum contract on the bench to help kind of, uh, you know, balance that out. But again, when you look across the league at what middle linebackers are getting paid, we have a heck of a bargain in the Green Bay linebacker room. I mean, this is really, really exciting. And, and the, the final one that I think has a great shot, I think he will make the roster, is Isaiah McDuffie. He comes in at $857,000 this year as far as a cap hit, and he's got three years left on his contract. So what I see happening next year as we forecast moving forward is Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, and Isaiah McDuffie will be your three linebackers returning next year, unless for Some weird reason Chris Barnes and Ty Summers are willing to take minimum contracts. Now they may test free agency, and I could also see the Packers coming back. And offered them that minimum uh, veteran, you know, veteran minimum, and getting them back on the roster after they test free agents. So we know that that's, that was always Ted Thompson's approach to, to allowing guys to test the market. You've seen it with Aaron Jones last year. Um, you've seen it time and time again where they'll let them go out and test the market and then come back. You know, they did it with Kevin King last year, and obviously Kevin King is now a free agent this year. I don't foresee them signing him this year, but they kind of let him test the market, and he came back a little humbled and took a lot less money than what he was originally asking for. As far is trying to work out a contract extension so the linebacking core like i said those are the five that i see making the roster as it sits right now barring any crazy injuries i think the linebacking uh, core is in great great shape from a contractual standpoint anyway and uh, if quay walker performs just as good or better than chris barnes did last year then the the amount of training that he's going to get on-the-job training, working alongside Devondre Campbell, and, and they're both, um, you know, just kind of built the same way. I think it's going to be a an awesome, awesome dynamic. And the real question I have is, is this legit what we hear about Quay Walker being able to rush the quarterback? You know, uh, immediately I want to think of, you know, uh, Micah Parsons in Dallas, and can he have that kind of impact? I don't think he is, he can be that, that effective at rushing the passer, I really don't. But the fact that he has that little wrinkle, to his game, and the way that Devondre Campbell plays in this scheme. And Devondre Campbell's not asked to, you know, cover the length of the field, right? His main, the way i seen it was they played a lot of over-the-top coverage, you know, whether it's a cover three or a modified quarter coverage to where they had three and four guys deep at all times and four staying underneath. And it allowed Devondre Campbell to do what he does best, which is flow to the football underneath and kind of play downhill that's what I've seen in Devondre Campbell. I'm hoping we see the same thing with Quay Walker with a couple of fire zone blitzes and some twists and stunts up front with the big boys uh, allowing him to rush the quarterback and, and maybe uh, you know freeing up and putting some pressure uh, on the quarterback position there with the, with the opposing, uh, opposing offense. So that's your linebacking core. That's how that sits. Now, I am no expert when it comes to X's and O's and what to look for on tape and, okay, how did this player perform on film? Um, you know, I'm more of the the contractual, uh, you know, standpoint of looking at the roster. Uh, there are some things that I've studied. I've, I've read several, several books now that I'm trying to understand exactly the X's and O's. I've got a pretty good grab of it, but someone else who is much, much better at watching film than me is our very own Sam Holman from Packernet Podcast Network. You know, he's got the, uh, Wisconsin sports heroics, um, uh, Podcast, and you know what? I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to let him explain what he's got going on, and we're going to pick his brain and say, "Okay, what does this linebacking core look like from your view? From what you've seen watching film, what are you excited about with this linebacking core? And maybe what do we have to look forward to, uh, you know, going forward?" So, with that being said, let's bring him in. Let's bring in Sam Holman right now. All right, joining us on the line now is our good friend Sam Holman. From Wisconsin, Wisconsin Sports Heroics, man, that's hard to say fast. (laughs) (laughs) And you do some writing for them, is that right, Sam?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been writing for them uh, basically since around the middle of uh, last season.
2: Awesome, yeah. I knew the answer to that question because i I read that most more recent article there that you did on Rashawn Gary, dude, fired me up. I, I'm not. I am Jack to see what he does this year, and and then obviously you got the Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast here with the Packer Net Podcast Network, dude, and we're so excited, uh, you know, to to have you on. I guess as a teammate is the best way of putting it, right? But yeah. How do you feel like that podcast is going so far, man? Are you enjoying it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it. Uh, It's kind of the first regular podcast opportunity, uh, opportunity that I've had. And so I'm, you know, learning a lot, kind of getting some
2: experience in that and yeah, really enjoying it. Yeah, we're in the same boat there, dude. And I'm telling you, when I listen to your podcast, it, it doesn't sound like your first time. I love the fact that you're oh, straight, man, to the point. I love that nothing's drawn out. I get too drawn out sometimes. I get detailed <laughs> and I go to chattering, right? But, uh, yeah, dude, it's uh, it's an awesome podcast. So if you guys haven't heard it, make sure you check that wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, Ryan's been uh, having those uploaded, and don't miss that. Also, follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, Sam?
0: Yeah, it's at, uh, at Sam underscore d holman and that last name is h-o-l-m-a-n
2: awesome Perfect, perfect. Well, here's why we got Sam on the line today, guys. Sam's a Sam's a cat that he really likes to dive into the film, and, and I love people like this who like to study the game at a different level. Um, you know, I, I would not say that's my forte, although I enjoy doing it. I really enjoy pretending like I know what I'm looking at. You know, that's kind of the fun thing, right, Sam? <laughs> but, but with you, I wanted to have you on because earlier in this episode, we broke down the contract the situation with, with the inside linebacker and, uh, core there, and, and I wanted to kind of get your take, man. First First of all, on Devondre Campbell, when you look at Devondre Campbell, obviously, you know, uh, coming into his second year in the defense here, how do you feel about Devondre Campbell? I mean, what do you see on tape when you uh, when, when you see him play last year? And obviously the, the awesome campaign he put together last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Just, you know, kind of that was his the last year was kind of his first really like successful high level year in the NFL. So, you know, you worry a little bit about regression. Um, just for going from a film perspective, he, he, the big things about him, you know, he's a massive linebacker, six, four, around two forty 40 to 50 or somewhere around there, but his wingspan wingspan is just huge. And so he can, he can, you know, take up a lot of ground in, in underneath zones where the Packers are asking him to play in in their quarters defense. And then he's just got, he's not an, a huge burner in my opinion, but he's got enough speed to go sideline to sideline, which again is important because that with the way the Packers defense is structured, um, their defensive linemen, kind of their job is to eat up the inside gaps, right? The A gaps on either side of center, the big gaps in between the guards and the tackles those are covered up and so really the linebackers are reading basically from they're reading from the center out to the tackle so they have to be able to cover a lot of ground kind of process quickly and move up move out to the those outside lanes really quickly but and he he's able to do that he's got some a really he's a really intelligent player uh there's a, there's a play that really stuck out to me Last year against Seattle, where he diagnosed a tight end screen, like instantly just shut it down, tackle for loss. And I believe they had the Seahawks had to punt after that. But those are kind of the big things with him, right? He's, he's big. He's got enough athleticism to cover a lot of ground and coverage and in the run game. And he's intelligent. He can kind of deconstruct what the offense is doing and react to that quickly to shut it down.
2: Absolutely. And I was actually at that Seattle game. I remember the very play you're talking about. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I said, oh, that was Devondre Campbell. I just remember thinking, (laughs) boy, they might want to run another play because that one got blown up. And then seeing later on the highlights is like this guy. It just it's it's so obvious that if a player knows where to be, that's just as good as raw talent and having that first step. Now I feel like he's got both of those things, or at least he showed it last year. And yeah. I love the way you preface what you said. Like this is this has been one great year let's see if he can do it again right and uh that's what i'm excited about man and he seems to have the work ethic he seems to have the respect of the uh, of the coaching staff um he's he's one of those guys that i couldn't think of a better person at least off of last year's film and then obviously um just in him in interviews and everything else i couldn't think of a better person for quay walker to learn from and uh, is it is it my am i correct when i say this sam that, that quay walker is built very similar to to Devondre campbell
0: uh no, you're you're exactly correct. I, I think they're pretty much the same height, very similar weights. Um, I think Quay is actually a bit more athletic. He's got a bit more speed and twitch to his game, which is pretty, pretty darn exciting when you when <laughs> think about how Campbell was able to cover up so much space in the Packers defense. Um, but yeah, they're definitely built very similarly.
2: Absolutely. So when you watch the tape of Quay Walker, what stood out to you the most? What was the thing that you said? Yeah, th- this guy's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I mean going back to you know what i mentioned he's just super athletic he's a he's a robot i mean it, there's it's hard to describe just when he he's one of those players where you know when he hits that hits the gas and just goes you can just you just your breath just kind of gets taken away a little bit right you kind of gasp it's kind of like that on offense you know how you kind of see that with tyreek hill um just that that sheer speed at his size is insane and then a lot of the things that Devondre campbell can do he can do as well he can move really well in space he can cover a lot of work ground in the run game just kind of tracking down the running back as the defensive lineman muddies up the in between the the space in between the tackles and then just, you know, he has the athleticism to cover wide receivers. I remember watching one play against Alabama, actually, I think it was John Mechie. Uh He basically manned up against him and covered him all across the field and just just shut him down.
2: Yeah and what's crazy is you know we all hung out on Draft Night it, it was great that was my first experience you know getting yeah. to meet you quote unquote face to face but <laughs> um I remember looking at the linebackers available and when they took Quay Walker I remember thinking the first thing that popped in my mind was Greg Cosell. You know, I'm a big Greg Cosell fan. I love how he breaks down footage and um, and really kind of just judges the tape. He doesn't judge off the field stuff. He doesn't judge the, uh, the combine and all that. He looks at, you know, game tape. And I remember him saying that, Quay Walker was his favorite linebacker. And I got excited about that because I added in that factor into my draft board of I- anybody that he said that's the best, that's his favorite player at that position. I yeah. jumped him up five spots immediately. And even still then, he was, you know, the, on the third or fourth best linebacker on my board. So when they took him, the first thing that came to mind is that Greg Cosell, dude, he knows what he's talking about. But <laughs> yeah the thing that gets me the most excited about quay walker is i've i've heard some some rumors some rumblings that this guy can actually rush the passer as well and and in no way shape or form am i saying he's going to have the impact that micah parsons did but that's the first thing that came to mind was micah parsons do you see that with quay walker not necessarily the comparison with with micah parsons but do you see him having the ability to rush the passer in certain situations
0: yeah, I, I think I do. I mean, like you said, he, Micah Parsons was a little bit of an anomaly. You're not going to get a lot of guys who can just come in as a rookie and just ba- basically be a premier pass rusher and an inside linebacker. He What he did was kind of insane. But yeah, Quay can, you know, there were quite a few snaps actually that Georgia lined him up on the edge as an edge ed rusher. They also loved blitzing their inside linebackers, uh, him and Nicobe Dean and those other guys. Um, from the edge, uh, I was actually, uh, he had some pretty impressive snaps. Um, and there was a one that gets the, uh, a tackle again, uh, in Michigan, in the, in the Michigan game, um, where, you know, he legitimately beat him with a, like a real pass rushing move, which is, which is really interesting to see from an inside linebacker. And then, you know, on the edge, he also was able to set the edge a lot as kind of that outside linebacker type hybrid, um, in the blitz game, he. I think that he he's got that trigger right that I mentioned where he just when he hits the gas to go downhill, he can get there in a hurry um. I would have liked to see him take a little bit tighter angles uh, going into those into those interior blitzes um just go go take a tighter path to the quarterback essentially, but there were definitely moments where he was just able to use that speed use that size to penetrate and uh, affect the quarterback.
2: Awesome. Good stuff, man. So when it comes to this linebacking core, you know, as a whole, I think there's a good possibility that they carry five. If that's the case, we're looking at Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Chris Barnes, Ty Summers, and Isaiah McDuffie. Obviously, Isaiah McDuffie having three years left on his deal, and Chris Barnes and Ty Summers with only one year left on their deal. I think it's safe to say they're probably going to be able to test free agency next year as restricted free agents. But with that being said, do you feel pretty confident that Quay Walker, just based off of what you've seen and and in the past what you've seen of Chris Barnes, do you think Quay Walker will start over Chris Barnes hands down, or do you think it will be uh, you know a, a competition to watch there? camp.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm willing to bet that Quay will be starting. I, I think that even what what I saw on film in college was you know quite a bit better, especially in, in coverage than what uh What Barnes was able to give you last year. I mean, I, you know, I I have a soft spot for hard hitting inside linebacker. So, you know, I kind of liked what Chris Barnes was able to bring a little bit. He's got some of that, that downhill blitzing ability. And, you know, if he, if he has a clear path, a clear gap that he can go into in the run game and just hit the running back, he's pretty good at that. But in coverage, you know, he has some issues. He has some issues reading what the offensive offense is doing. And that wasn't a problem that I saw with Quay. I thought Quay, was, he, he showed really good, you know, instincts, processing, whatever you want to call it to just determine what the offense was doing, you know, get get to where the offense was going in a hurry and just shut it down pretty well. Kind of like Campbell though, obviously the adjustment to the NFL is going to be a question, but yeah, I, I think Quay is, is, you can pretty much uh, slate him to be the starter.
2: Awesome. Good stuff, man. This is, this is great insight. I can't thank you enough for joining us and and taking the time. And uh, here's, here's another important question. Did I understand correctly that you're going to be with us at the LA Rams (laughs) game there in December? Yeah, I'm hoping to be. Uh, I mean, I'm
0: hoping to be, yeah, I just bought tickets. Um, But yeah, we'll have to hang out sometime. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we can work out some sort of Packernet uh, tailgate party. Uh, People can
2: hang out. Absolutely, man. Well, we've got, a VIP tailgate party set up that's going to be indoors at the D12 the new little sports bar and grill place. Oh nice. Um I think it's called D it's either D2 or D12 but nonetheless dude it if you would like to join us there that would be awesome if we get together the day before whatever it's going to be a great time. Nonetheless man it's going to be that's going to be a good game to watch man. I think it's going oh, to yeah. be sneaky sneaky good so Um, good stuff man well like I said thank you so much for taking the time to join us I know this was short notice and it's uh, always a pleasure to chat with you Um, is there anything else you uh, you want to plug as we hop off of here again definitely mention your Twitter again but is there any any other projects you got coming up as far as writing or anything
0: yeah um, not anything outstanding with the or not anything big coming up with writing uh, specifically though I will mention um, hopefully this is all right for uh, me to mention this but Ryan and I have been talking about I'm probably going to use his uh, SIS or Sports Info Solutions, I think uh, it's called, uh, to use his login to uh, get some get some stats and do some writing for Packernet. Um, so hopefully that'll be coming uh, in a couple weeks or so. I'm still finishing up my college quarter, so I'm a little busy to do that. And then, yeah, I'll probably just be writing some stuff over at Wisconsin Sports for Nothing specific planned now. Uh, like I mentioned, my uh, Twitter handle is at Sam underscore D Holman. I do also have a uh, YouTube page. I, it's linked in my Twitter profile. Um, but if you search Samuel Holman Packers, I, you should be able to find me fairly easily. I have the same profile picture as on Twitter. Um, but those are those are the main things.
2: Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, we can't wait to hang with you there at Lambeau this year. We're probably going to freeze our keisters off. It's going to be a good <laughs> Yeah. <time. laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Sam. You take care, pal. Yeah, thank you. Man, what a blessing it is to have Sam on the show. Do this guy, you know, I've been, uh, you know, on on Zoom calls with him and doing some game planning and stuff with uh, the PackerNet Podcast Network and and obviously on Draft There are some people that just have a good spirit about them, and Sam's one of those guys. You just, I, I, in in the times that we've been on the same Zoom calls and stuff together, I've never seen him down. I've never heard him criticize anybody. He's just one of those. He's just a good soul, man. So again, thank you, Sam, for your time, man. Absolutely crushed it there. Sometimes we need people in here that that uh that's somewhat educated, other than the uh, the redneck that speaks English on a third grade level. It, it, I think if anything, it increases the uh, the credibility of the podcast. So thank you so much for uh, loaning your brain there for a few minutes. Now I want to get to. Um, as we wrap the show up, I want to get to a, a a Facebook post and I'm not going to read the entire post, but there was a guy on there. His name's Andrew Lloyd Peth, Peth or Peth. I'm I'm so sorry, Andrew, if I'm, uh, you know, mispronouncing your name, you guys are probably used to it by now, but uh, essentially, you know, I kind of feel like he's taking a shot at me and that's okay, man. That's, this is the type of stuff I'm here for. I love it when people disagree, because it makes for great conversation. Now, I may get a little bit passionate when it comes to disagreeing. I don't mean any disrespect, but it's so it, it's cool. But at the same time, it's so crazy how two Packer fans can look at one situation and get totally uh, diametrically opposed views, you know, opinions of, of what it is. But Um, I'm just gonna read a part of his Facebook post and then I'm gonna kind of address it here. He said, okay, whether we dis, we like or dislike, quote, kicking the can and inloading deals, that's fine. But let's be honest about two things. One, Aaron Rodgers is not only make, not making only $28 million this year. And two, Aaron's deal is the farthest thing from a team friendly deal. It's 100% Aaron friendly and only Aaron friendly. Okay, it says he won't be here in 25 and 26, but we're paying him over 45 million those years. Okay, I'm not going to go on and read the entire um, post here. We don't have the time, but I do want to touch on those two points that he made. One, Aaron Rodgers is not not making only 28 million dollars this year. Okay, I'm going to go through and explain the cap hit rankings. Now, again, if the argument here by Andrew, I say argument, if his stance is that cap hit doesn't matter. We're talking about the entire entirety of the money that Aaron actually put in his pocket this year. I really don't care. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't care how much money got put in his pocket, cash on hand, all that stuff, makes no sense to me. It makes no I mean, I, I really give two craps. What I'm looking at is the salary cap. That's what we're up against. That's the reason that we we had to let people go. You know, when I say people, Zadarius Smith is one that, looking back on it now, I'm kind of glad they let him go, just to be honest with you. I mean, I've talked about that in past podcasts. We're not going to get into that again. Um, As far as Devontae Adams, it's come out now. It's 100% fact that they offered him more money, and he wanted to go to uh, Las Vegas. Now, it's amazing how the media is now saying Aaron Rodgers is the reason that he left. Okay, Aaron. didn't Tay sit up at the podium last year and said, I think he said, quote, I'll stand on the mountain and shout, and he used some expletives for Aaron Rodgers, he said for 12 So it's obvious that he didn't have a problem with 12. Now they're saying as far back as five years ago, for five years, according to David Carr, Devontae Adams has wanted to go to Oakland slash Las Vegas. Okay? So with that being said, it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. But anyway, it's just amazing how now that the guy showed up into camp, What you guys heard the news, he's in camp. I know all the haters said there's no way he'll be there. He's going to skip it again, blah, blah, blah. Well, lo and behold, he's in camp, okay? So let's look at this salary cap. Again, salary cap hit is all that matters to me. That's all that matters to me. I don't care about anything else other than how does this affect the team's ability to spend money and put together the best product possible. First of all, you're talking about the MVP quarterback, back-to-back MVPs. This is the most valuable player in the entire National Football League, and we just happen to be so fortunate that it's the most important position in the entire National Football League that we have the MVP, the best player in the league at that position, okay? Absolutely blows my mind. I mean, that people are just like, eh, just cut him loose and he ain't worth it, blah, blah, blah. Let's get back to the numbers. I've got now the 2022 cap hit rankings for the entire NFL pulled up. This is according to Spotrack, okay? To the best of my knowledge, this is completely accurate. Number one, at $38.6 million, Ryan Tannehill, quarterback, by the way. Number two, Patrick Mahomes, $35.7 million at quarterback, by the way. Number three, here's a name that's going to sound familiar, $31.4 million against the cap, the all... All pro all world greatest quarterback in the history of the NFC North, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is making 31.4 million dollars towards the cap this year. Here's another one. Number 4, Jared Goff, 31.1 million dollars against the cap this year. Number 5, TJ Watt, edge rusher, I get it, 31.1 makes sense. Chris Jones, defensive tackle. A lot of people think that he's overrated. I believe, if I remember correctly, Ryan said he felt like he was overrated. I know. I feel like Chris Jones is overrated. $29.4 million against the cap. Defensive tackle for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. At number seven, our very own Aaron Rodgers at $28.5 million cap hit this year. Guess who's right behind him at twenty eight point two, million? Carson Wentz. So let me just recap that for you. Aaron Rodgers is going against the cap this year is one two three four the fifth highest paid quarterback with carson Wentz coming in at a close sixth right behind aaron so you're telling me that the back-to-back mvp winner is not worth being paid the fifth best or fifth highest paid quarterback in the entire league and it's not a team friendly deal explain to me how that works Okay, you're probably saying, well, yeah, but yeah, go go forward. Go forward a year and look how bad it is. Okay, let's go forward a year. Number one, at $54.9 million against the cap. Guys, $54 million. Quarterback Deshaun Watson for the Cleveland Browns. You know the guy who's never won an MVP? You know the guy who's never won a Super Bowl ring? You know the guy who has 24 civil lawsuits against him from women saying that he— I'm not even going to give into it. I'm not going to get into it. The dude's, a, to the best of my knowledge, a sexual predator. And he's on the, on the cap, $54 million against the Cleveland Browns cap next year. Number two, quarterback, Dak Prescott, $49.1 million cap hit next year. Number three, Patrick Mahomes, $46.7 million cap hit next year. Another quarterback, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Number four, Josh Allen, $39.7 million cap hit for you know playing quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Number five, Aaron Donald at $38 million. Number six, Ryan Tannehill at $36.6 million next year. Kirk Cousins at number seven, $36.2 million next year. Here's another one. I'm going to skip over Laramie Tunzel, a left tackle at $35 million. Number nine, Matt Ryan, quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, $35.2 million against the cap next year. Tom Brady at number 10, $35.1 million next year if he decides to play, right? Actually, that's a voided year, by the way. That's in the red. I'm pretty sure that's a voided year. It is. So he, he's not even on the roster, and they're on the hook for $35.1 million. At number 11, Derek Carr, $34.8 million. Number twelve, left tackle Jake Matthews at thirty-three point nine, and here he is. Number thirteen against the cap next year, Aaron Rodgers at thirty-one point six million dollars. So let me ask you the question again, Andrew: Is the back-to-back MVP quarterback the leader of the Green Bay Packers? Is he worth being the thirteenth highest-paid player in the NFL next year against the cap? Now let's do this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He is the tenth highest-paid quarterback next year against the cap. Now, again, if you want to talk about guaranteed money and this and that, and well, that he's actually making more than that. Okay, if you're concerned with the cash in hand and all the little details of the contract to the point where, well, he's just not worth that much, and he's not actually getting paid uh 31 million dollars i gotta be honest with you man sounds like he got a personal problem with aaron Rodgers, and he got nothing to do with his performance on the field obviously and he got nothing to do with how it hinders the team and his contract situation obviously so let's jump ahead one more year 2024 this is the entire nfl this is where it starts to come due Deshaun Watson, number one, $54 million. I giggle every time I see it. I'm sorry. Dak Prescott at number two, $52 million. Number three, Matthew Stafford, quarterback, $49 million. Number four, Patrick Mahomes, $44 million. Number five, Derek Carr, $43 million. Number six, Josh Allen, $41 million. Number seven, Aaron Rodgers, $40.7 million. It still hasn't come due. I'm looking. I'm looking at Spotrack. I'm looking at the contracts and going, okay. Here he's the seventh highest paid quarterback in the league as far as cap hit. So explain to me how it's not worth it to have the to have the four time MVP, back to back MVP quarterback, leader of your team under contract, where he is anywhere from seventh to tenth highest paid quarterback in the entire NFL. It just makes no sense that people have an issue with that. So let's look at his contract as a whole here. I I can only go off of these numbers, guys. Okay, this is what Spotrack shows on their website. In 2022, Cap hit $28.5 million. Guess what his dead Cap is for that year, guys? $150 million. Okay, that's some of you are going, whoa, that's crazy. No, that's a good thing. Let's go to 2023, $31.6 million cap hit, dead cap, $99.7 million. Okay, let's go to 2024, $40.7 million cap hit, dead cap, only $24.4 million. So what does that mean? Okay, let's go to 2025. Cap hit, $59.3 million in 2025. Guess what the dead cap is? $16.3 million. So when you look at that, this is according to Spotrack. There's not showing any voidable years, right? Remember what Ian Rappaport said that they could stretch this out over a multitude of years when he does decide to retire. Okay, when you're talking about the guaranteed money, again, I'm no cap guru, I'm no genius here, but when you look at it from the standpoint of exactly how it compares to the rest of the league, you're talking about in 2025 59.3 million dollars, according to Spotrac. If you were to cut Aaron Rodgers loose that year, there would only be a dead cap penalty of 16.3 million dollars. Now, when you look at 2026. million, a dead cap of only $8.1 million. To sit here and pretend like this contract is structured in a way that when Aaron retires, all hell's going to break loose and it's the end of the Green Bay Packers, is negligent at best. Again, I don't have all of the details of the contract in hand. All I can tell you is what's the cap hit because that's how much of the cap it's eaten up preventing us from signing better players year in and year out. And what's the dead cap if indeed he doesn't play for the Green Bay Packers. Now here's what's crazy. He's going to retire. And I was actually having a great conversation with draft lobbyists on, uh, uh, I think it's I think it's draft, draft hobby, draft lobbyists um, is his Twitter handle. And we were trying to figure out this Aaron Rodgers contract, and we we didn't want to say either way, like, I'm not sure if he retires, a certain percentage of that has to be paid back to the Packers. So it may be even in, in, in even better standing. But the only thing that you can do when you look at a contractual uh, standpoint of a player, a certain position, a team, is you compare it across the league. How does it stack up against the other contracts? You know, we talked about all these positional breakdowns and how the Green Bay Packers have done an excellent job in saving money and not overpaying. When the rest of the league is overpaying like crazy for a wide receiver, our room is pennies on the dollar. And then you look at the most important position in the quarterback position, and you look at how he stacks up in cap hit against the rest of the league, and it's like, what are you complaining about? And, you know, there was a guy on on this Facebook post. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. I don't mean to waste time, but I think it's worth – Worth pointing out his response was great. He said, Okay, so future wise, this is uh Geiskey, I think I'm saying that right. Geesky Taylor says, Okay, so future wise, why can't we make moves to free up money? And if you draft and coach, if you draft and coach, you have like four years to operate with the personnel that you've drafted not reached for. You worrying about a deal that ultimately keeps us contending. I just don't get it. Laughing emoji. I'm right there with you. And then Andrew responds and says, freeing up money, in quotations, in the future will only be done at great expense. You'll lose players, multiply dead cap hits, etc. And by the way, you could do all those things with or without Aaron Rodgers' contract. Okay. So what you're saying is, let's just move forward with Jordan Love, roll the dice, and uh, let's just cut loose the most valuable player the last two years in the National Football League. Even though, again comparing apples to apples, when you look at the rest of the league and what quarterbacks are getting paid, guys, this is a team-friendly deal. There's no two ways about it. Now, maybe Spotrack isn't showing voidable years on here, right? Maybe that's the case. But to me, the way this contract looks is the money was pretty much paid up front. When you look at the dead cap, this makes all the sense in the world, and I'm praying to sweet baby Jesus this information is correct on SpoTrack. If it isn't, Andrew, do us a favor, tag us on Twitter, put another post up in the Facebook group, and say, "Hey, no, here's the real numbers. Here's what you got wrong," because I'm telling you right now, with everything that I have my eyes on, this is uh, this is looking pretty darn good. I'm I'm really excited looking at this contract. So, with that being said. Again, I'm not mad at Andrew. It's great to have contrast with conversations like this. It's great to have people that disagree or agree to disagree. This makes for good sports talk radio. This makes for good podcast material, right? But I don't I don't know any other situation other than Aaron needs to be 15 million dollars against the cap hit and take no guaranteed money and uh yeah, and just shut up and do what the team needs him to do. It sounds to me like people just have a personal vendetta against Aaron Rodgers. You know, I put a tweet out earlier today. Now that Aaron Rodgers is reported to camp, right, when everybody said he wasn't going to be there, and now here he is, he did exactly what he said he was going to do on the Pat McAfee show, what are they going to find wrong with him now? That's what's amazing to me. The leader of our team is in camp now. The leader of our team, now the media has to shut the you-know-what up about him not getting in there and building chemistry with the young receivers and this and that. So what are they going to talk about now? What are they going to bash him for now? Because we all know whether anybody's willing to admit it or not, this all comes back to his vaccination status, period. Nobody had a problem with Aaron Rodgers in the media. He was the media darling. At the time, I was kind of anti-Aaron Rodgers. I was kind of like, man, why don't the media go after him more? Because, he, you know, I don't know. I I don't agree with his stance on this. I don't like that he got pissy with the Jordan Love draft pick. There's a lot of things, a lot of beefs I have with him. But the second he chose that stance with with the, the vaccination, all of a sudden, the media now just converges on him like he's the most evil person in the world. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's got an issue with not everybody, but, you know, a certain select group all of a sudden have an issue with him. It, it just it's amazing. It's amazing to me. So, Andrew, you're probably hearing the tone of my voice and you're thinking, well, he's mad. I'm not mad, dude. This is a great conversation. What I'm asking you to do is point out to me where I was wrong in those numbers. Because there may be information that I don't have my hands on. And I'm looking forward to hearing it. You may uncover something for me where I go, you know what, Andrew? You're right, dude. I didn't see that. You're exactly right. But according to the information I've got in front of me, dude, this could not be set up any better for the Green Bay Packers. And we don't even know if Aaron's might be willing to restructure on the backside of that deal because we know the most important thing to Aaron Rodgers was to make sure it eclipsed $50 million per year because at the time, that would reset the market. But now, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, the one thing that we all can't agree on, when you look at that Deshaun Watson contract, it's like, boy, oh boy, the Cleveland Browns are in trouble. And now he's got 24 lawsuits against You understand it's going to take two to three years to get that through civil court? for Deshaun Watson, that's going to be hanging over their head the entire time. And he offered to pay off these ladies, I think 100 grand each. It was going to come to over 2 2.2, 2.3 million dollars at the time. And when the when the league said if you do that, then you've got to accept the 6 game suspension, he said, "Well, no, I don't want to do that." Now it's going to drag out. Guys, when you look at the quarterback position and I just read off the cap hit numbers to you, we're in great shape especially with the, the level of elite quarterback play that we have in Aaron Rodgers. Oh, and by the way, the head coach just absolutely loves him. So, not that that really matters, I guess. But, yeah, this is going to be a good year for the Green Bay Packers. And what I love about situations like this is it brings the haters, even within the fan base, it brings all the haters right to the top of the water. And, and that's something I want to know moving forward. So, again, Andrew, whether you believe it or not, dude, great post on Facebook there, man. Because I'm telling you, it lit up. There was like 50-some comments. That's what we want. We want conflicting opinions because it creates great speaking topics, especially in the off-season when there's not a whole lot to talk about. So thank you for that. Um, with that being said, guys, that's the end of the show. We're going to wrap it up here before we hit our time limit. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen and hang out with us. We, uh, we definitely don't take it lightly. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to get out here quick, man. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go, Pack, go. Third down, it is to go.